So honored and excited, and I'm only a tiny bit nervous because what I'm going to share with you tonight, I don't want to over-exaggerate this, but if you get this tonight, it'll change your life. Second greatest principle in the Bible, outside of being saved in your salvation, is what I'm going to share with you for the next few minutes tonight. It's, I learned this principle when I was a senior at Baylor University. Any Baylor people here, fans? A lot of you are. I know you are secretly. Uh, I learned this in college when I was a senior. In all the major decisions of my life, including and especially my dating years, um, and eventually uh, getting married, this principle guided. Here's the talk. It's waiting for God's best in your life. It's going to be illustrated by the story of Egypt and the wilderness and uh, the promised land. The talk is about learning to leave Egypt. Uh, having to wander in the wilderness and then entering the promised land. God has the best for your life. He has a plan for your life. He has a will for your life. God wants his best for you. And we're going to relate it to dating and marriage tonight. Uh, as I get into the talk here a little bit, uh, I'm going to make a couple of assumptions. One is that uh, most in the room will probably get married. At least you want to get married. You don't have to. Singleness is very much encouraged in the Bible. The Apostle Paul was single. He encouraged singleness. But you go back to Genesis, God did say in his original plan, it's really not good for man and or woman to be alone. I'm going to give them a helpmate perfectly suitable for them. And um, one of, if God blesses you this way, one of the greatest blessings in your life, God's best in your life, can be somebody you marry. You may be God's best for somebody one day, and God may will it in your life for you to get married, and the same is true. You become God's best, you get to be God's best. Dating only makes sense in terms of marriage. I agree 100% with what Stephen just said. The Bible doesn't talk about dating. It talks about marriage. We allow dating, and I would encourage dating under the supervision of your family or parents. We allow dating. We all did. It's fine. It can be terrible for you. be the worst thing in the world for you. But it is how our culture allows and God permits and causes us to find the person you're going to marry one day. Uh, before we get too deep in it, without being corny here, God's best in my life, I unfortunately didn't get to meet until I was 31 years old. I was an old dude, but my, God's best in my life, uh, the promised land, as you can hear the talk tonight, is in the back. My wife, Mary, if you don't know Mary, you stand up real quick. Come on, let's go. You got to stand up. She didn't like doing this. She can teach this talk better than me, but it's, it's mine, so here we go. Exodus chapter 3. Uh, Numbers chapter 13 and Joshua chapter 6 is how we're going to do this. Do not be intimidated. The amount of notes. I'll go fastening. Oop, there you go. I'll go fast as lightning. I'm going to do this in three ways. I'm going to tell you the story of in the Old Testament Egypt and the wilderness and the promised land. Then I'm going to come back in the second part and show you how it represents our life. Egypt, the wilderness, and the promised land is a metaphor for life for God's people. I'm also making the assumption today, and I'm sorry for this assumption, I don't know you guys well enough, that you're believers, that you want God's best for your life, that you're waiting for God's best in your life, that you believe that God has the best for your life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to the full or to the best. God's will for your life is always going to be the best for you. And if you get that, it'll change your life. And, and, and uh, um, let, let me tell you the story. Then we'll, I'm going to tell you what the literal actual places represent. And then uh, I'm going to come and kind of apply it a little bit. We're going to talk about dating then. Let me tell you the story. Then we'll come back. If we have time. I'm going to watch the clock. And I'll show you the scriptures. Trust me, it's in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, God called a people to himself, the Hebrew people, through Abraham. 
He said in Genesis 12 and through Genesis chapter 15, that's the first book in the Bible, that I'm going to raise up a people unto myself. And in time, they are going to go through 400 years of Egyptian slavery. In the scripture that's talked about, then in Exodus chapter 3, years later, God raises up Moses to be the people to lead his people out of Egyptian bondage. Horrendous time of slavery. Uh, he let his, he told his people, he said, I've got another land for you, a promised land. They would come to know it. God leads them out of Egyptian bondage. You know, the 10 plagues God sends, the frogs and this and that. And finally, the Egyptian people said, let them go. Pharaoh, let them go. And the 2 million people of God's people leave headed to the promised land. I want to show what it looks like on a map here real quick before we look at scripture. I think we got a map there. Maps are boring, but I got a map. Uh, there's Egypt. Present day Egypt, same place. There's the Red River. Red River. They'll eventually cross the, the, the Red Sea. Red River. The Red Sea. Uh, go down the wilderness. Come on, Jerry. You went to seminary. Uh, uh, and then end up going, get, get, hang on to that. Let me, I'll do that in a second. They end up going north to what is current day Israel. That was God's promised land. At the time, it was the land of Canaan. In, uh, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 13, God leads his people out of Egyptian bondage. They believe God's promise that I've got a promised land for you. God promised them that in Egypt. He said, leave the place. They leave. Two million people led by Moses head north. It would take months and months and months and months. They get to the city of Jericho, the entrance to the promised land, which was Canaan at the time. And God in Numbers 13 said, uh, Moses, send out 12 spies, one spy from each of the nations of the tribes of Israel. The, the nation of Israel, God's people, had 12 tribes. Send out a, a spy to spy out the land. And they spied it out. They came back to Moses. They said, Moses, what God told you is correct. It is a perfect land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's gorgeous. Oh, we want it. But there are giants in that land, and they're too big for us. We can't do it. Ten of the twelve said that. Two men, Joshua and Caleb, said, Moses, the Lord told us to leave Egypt. The Lord told us to go to the promised land. There we are. We should go take it in faith what God said. And ten people said, no, we're not going to. We'll be destroyed. If you read in the scripture, and again, you can look this up on your own in Numbers chapter 13. The Bible says that they said, Moses, we will not Go to the promised land. Matter of fact, Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt? We're in the wilderness to die here. And the Bible says they raised up a leader outside of Moses and said, let's go back to Egypt. And then the Lord spoke. And here's what God said. Because you've not believed my promise all the way, because you would not trust me all the way, here's what's going to happen. All those 12 men and everybody in those 12 tribes, they will die in the wilderness. You're going to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. You're going to die there. But those two men, Joshua and Caleb, and all their descendants and families, 40 years from now, I'll send you guys back to promised land, and you'll have it. That's what happens. You see it in all, it's, it's really most of the Old Testament. I, I just gave the highlights to look up. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. A million and a half people die in the wilderness. About 500,000 people, they say, led by Joshua and Caleb. You know Joshua in the, in the Bible? That's the Joshua I'm talking about. Joshua chapter 6 said, Moses dies. God raises up Joshua. And again, they start over again. 12 spies go spy out the land like 40 years earlier. The 12 guys come back and say, Joshua, uh, two things are true. It's an awesome place, but we can't take it again. And Joshua said, God told us, it's about 44, 45 years, that we're to go there. We will take it in faith. We're going in. And in Joshua chapter 6, I kind of want y'all to see it, Gary. I'm skipping around. Joshua chapter 6, I want you to see what happened here. Forty years after in the wilderness, they've left Egypt. 
Watch this. Now the gates of Jericho, that's the entrance to the city. Jericho is an actual place. Archaeologists found about six walls. We were in Israel last year. They said, there's Jericho. It's an actual place. Not a Bible story. It's a true thing. All the stories in the Bible are true, but some people think they're not. They're all true, but this one's great. Now the gates of Jericho, the entrance to the promised land, were securely barred because of the Israelites. They had heard, hey, they want to come back. Let's bar the place up. Think uh, the gladiators, giant walls, moats, walls. We're not letting these people in. Look what happened. No one went out. Nobody came in. They're ready for battle. The people on the other side, the Canaanites. Watch what happened. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, look. They're up on the hill at this point. About a million people. God said, Joshua, look down there. Look what I promised you years and years ago. Get a vision of this. I want you to see this, Joshua. We're back again. Let's do this again the right. See, Joshua. Take a look. In the Bible, it says see. It's not just see literally. It says see spiritually. See with your spiritual eyes. See, Joshua, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Now, they're on this side of the promised land. God said, no, the way I do things is I, I already got a plan. You don't know how, how you're going to accomplish this plan. I already see your future. I see you in the promised land, although you're still up on the hill. You haven't entered it yet. See, Joshua, look at this. I have delivered Jericho in your hands along with its king and its fighting men. When the trumpet sounded, the army, I'm skipping through because what happened was God said, I want you to march around this city seven times for seven days. At the end, shout and praise my name and I'm going to perform a miracle. And what the Bible says, and archaeologists have discovered it, there was about six walls and they all just caved in on each other, killed the people, and God's people walked in and took over. It says, when the trumpet sounded, praising God, the army shouted, army of Israel, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Uh, Gary, you got verse 42 up there for me? There you go. That's good. I'll tell you what happens. Joshua chapter um, 21, verse 43, as a summary of all I just said, it says, after the people entered the land, they took over the Canaanites, they stood there, and the Bible says, and God accomplished for them all that he planned to do in the land. We know it as the promised land because God promised it in Israel and they got it. Good story. What's it mean? I'm going to show you what it represents, then try to apply it in your life. And what I want you to do, and it's good that I'm just guest guy here. I want you to apply this to your future marriage. I want you to apply this to dating because our desire, and we believe deeply, God's best for your life in this area you have to wait for. Here we go. You ready? Here's the principles. Let's go quick. What do the literal places represent? It's a metaphor for life. Here we go fast. Egypt represents your old life, your past life. Egypt is not God's best. If you wish me taking notes, and Gary said we got to throw out pens, but I love to have this. It is not God's best. It represents your old life, an old person, an old group of people, an old place. And everyone, by the way, typically has an Egypt in their life. Egypt represents the temporary place of God. God sent them to Egypt. He said back in Genesis 12, I don't fully understand it. He said they're going through slavery for 400 years. It's a temporary place of God. And God, this is, guys, this is worth you coming tonight. It represents good, not best in your life. This is worth the price of admission. Good is the greatest enemy of best in your life. It's not bad. Bad can destroy your life too. For most of us who walk with the Lord, what's the greatest enemy of your life is not bad, it's good. Good is the greatest <coughs> enemy of bad. I'm going to go quickly. 
Egypt represents a place that is comfortable and familiar and even secure in life. They were in slavery for 400 years, but they got fed. They had houses. It was secure. It's all they knew. Isn't that true of our life? It's also, though, a place of bondage. They were bondage to those folks, in bondage to those folks. It's a place where you settle for less in your life. Egypt's a place of unfulfilled potential in your life where you just settle for less than God's best. Here's the point. Egypt is the place in your life, in the times in your life, or the seasons in your life, or the people in your life where God is calling you to leave for, capital M, more for his best. When God says to leave Egypt or he opens the door for you to leave, you're to leave Egypt. Egypt's all about letting go. Thanks, sir. Egypt, I've had to strep throat this week like a 12-year-old, so sorry here. Uh, I did. It was terrible. Egypt and my wife, who is God's best in my life, had no, no compassion for me. She said, get over it, dude. You're fine. But I'm hurting still, so I'm sorry. <clears throat> Thank you for the water. Egypt is about letting go. Moving on. And guys, catch this. Drum roll, please. It takes great faith to leave Egypt. You were there for 400 years. It was comfortable. I had an address there. God says we're going. But between Egypt and the promised land in the, is the wilderness. What does the real wilderness represent? It's the most important point. And sorry, I'm doing this quick, but you're getting this. Between Egypt and the promised land is the wilderness. And the wilderness is from God. Nobody gets to go from one day from Egypt to the next day to God's promised land. That's not the way God works. There's a period of waiting. And the wilderness represents a period of waiting for God's best. It can be unstable, it can be restless, it can feel purposeless. I've been there many times in my life. It is a time to wait. You don't seek God's promised land. God has you waiting for a while. He'll get you there. He'll open that door. Wilderness is a place of preparation for the promised land. Typically, the wilderness lasts as long as you and God decide. Here's why. Because the wilderness is a place for lessons to be learned from God. It is a place where you're going to grow. It's a place where you're going to change. It's a place where God is preparing you for something more. You don't go from A to Z quickly. Man, this is awesome. Wilderness is a place, though, that they learn to worship and walk with the Lord in a new way. This is cool. There's so much cool stuff here. In Egypt, because they were under the pagan rule, they only let God's people worship on two or three days a year. There was no freedom to worship. In the wilderness, God had them erect these giant tabernacles or worship centers, and they got to worship God freely. The Egypt represents where your spirit's not free to worship God. In the wilderness, you get to worship him. You start walking with him in new ways that you never knew before in Egypt. Egypt's also, unfortunately, a place of loneliness and of humility. This is huge. I'm glad I wrote it down today. Egypt is a place of purity. Egypt is where God, I'm sorry, the wilderness is where God is getting Egypt out of you. Watch this, big time. The Lord never let them take anything from Egypt with them to the promised land. He purged Egypt out of their system in the promised land. It's a place of purity. There was a season of impurity. Now we're going to have a season of purity before the promised land. It's very true in daddy. God's going to get that out of you. We're not going from Egypt, what's not God's best, to God's best in a marriage without a season of purity. Boys and girls. He's going, to get, he's going to get Egypt out of you. Nothing with Egypt's going in the promised land. And man, this is big time. E, I'm, I keep saying this wrong. The wilderness is a place of testing. And you'll always be tempted to return to Egypt. You'll always be tempted to go back to Egypt when you're in the wilderness. The, here's the big, here's the great truth. There's a lot of great truths tonight. The wilderness makes Egypt look good. Does that make sense? 
You know, it's funny, when you're in the wilderness, it's true in dating and when you break up, you always forget the bad and only remember the good. They got in the wilderness and they went, they hated Egypt. They wanted out of Egypt. They cried to God to get out of Egypt. But then the wilderness are going, let's go back to Egypt. You know why that is? This is cool. They were familiar and they knew what Egypt's like. All they had from God was a promise of what the promised land would be like. So when you get to the wilderness wandering around, you've left Egypt, but you go, I don't know what the promised land is. I know what God said. I don't know what that looks like. Let's just go back to what we knew. Believers do that all the time. God called you out of Egypt. You left. And you're just wandering around. It's lonely and humble. And you're worshiping the Lord. But my word, you know, it's, let's go back. And you settle and you go back to Egypt. God says, no, no, I want more for you. You're, I'm preparing you for more. Let's, let's go this direction. Does that make sense? But all you've seen is Egypt. You got to trust God to get to the promised land. And the promised land represents God's best in your life. It represents receiving God's best. It's God's fulfilled promise in every area of your life. It is a place of miracles. It takes a miracle to leave Egypt. God had to send the 10 plagues. It takes a miracle to get in the promised land. God had to crash the walls down. It's a place of reward, of rest, of peace, of purpose. Quickly, it's the, it's the best place of blessing. It's a, bless, it's a place of conquest. It's a place of victory. I have to say this, for those of you who are believers who believe that God, and probably most of you get married one day, a great victory, and you got to hear this, a great victory in your life one day should be your wedding day. It's a great victory. You've waited and waited and waited. I've been there, brother. I was 31 years old and I met God's best. We got married in that sanctuary there. I cried like a baby. It's been a long wait. God put this in my heart when I was 22 years old. I waited nine years for God's best. I don't wish that on anybody. There's a lot of Egypt along the way. I'll tell you more of my story in a little bit. The promised land's a place of culmination where all the answered prayers come together. You'll be so grateful <clears throat> that you're not in Egypt when you finally get to the promised land. I always ask, Lord, why did you send your people to Egyptian bondage so that the promised land would be so much greater one day? Whew. If all you went to the promised land, you know anything better. You know, when I go to the Bahamas... Uh, well, it's like pretty much stuff else. If I didn't know, I love this place, but if I know ugly, I wouldn't know pretty. If I didn't know bad, I wouldn't really know best. And marriage is a type of promised land. If I may, dating's Egypt in the wilderness. It's learning how to leave and wait for God. I got to tell you, getting to the promised land's not easy. It's going to take a lot of faith. It may take a long time, but it'll be worth the wait. Don't give up in the wilderness, many do. Let's try to apply these principles quickly, then I'm going to wrap it up here a bit. Number one, ready? You'll never get to the promised land without first letting go of Egypt. Here's a big one. You cannot be in two places at the same time. You're never going to marry two people one day. We don't do that here. You're going to marry one. And you cannot have a foot in Egypt and a foot in Egypt at the same time, or the wilderness at the same I can't talk, and promised land at the same time. You, you got to leave one to go to the other. You cannot have the promised land, number two, and be in Egypt at the same time. And I will tell you from experience, the promised land is much better. Again, the problem with the promised land is, it's, you don't know it yet, but you know Egypt. You leave Egypt based on a promise from God, but you must let go of one to take hold of the other in every area of your life. You must let go of the old 
to experience the new. Number three, in between Egypt and the promised land is the wilderness. Again, you don't go directly from Egypt to the promised land. I know it's a bit redundant, but that's okay. You don't go directly. Wish you did. Number four, I said a while ago, I'll say it again. The wilderness makes Egypt look good. You've only been promised the promised land, but you've experienced the comfort and the safety and the security of Egypt, although it was still bondage. When in Egypt, they wanted out. When in the wilderness, they wanted back. You'll always be tempted to return to Egypt while you're in the wilderness. Don't. Keep walking through with the Lord. Number five, when God tells you to leave Egypt, he already has a promised land for you. You're only going to get there by faith, though. You're going to have to trust him. Number six, you'll never get the blessings of the promised land in Egypt. In the, in the wilderness, you're going to get to die to Egypt and leave Egypt for good. Number seven, I'm going quickly. I know. Hang with me. Y'all are. The wilderness is a time of holding tight to a word from God, what he said to you back in Egypt, of waiting on him, of worshiping him, and walking with him in a new way. And guys, you need to know to enter the promised land took great worship and faith. They circled the city in a weird, weird way seven times. They shouted out to God, and he caused the walls to break down. He did the miracle in the midst of worship. I'm convinced of this. God is especially raising up college students in our country to want to worship him, both in your words and in your life. It's the Father seeks those to worship him, and then he does big stuff in that midst. You praise him in the midst of the wilderness, not when you get the promised land. You learn to praise him in the middle, the, the wilderness. See, it's, a, it's the word from God that you got back in Egypt that's going to guide you through the wilderness. God always gives you a word in your soul before entering the land. You got to learn how to claim a promise from God. In the wilderness, they learned to wait on God because their faith was tested there. You got to believe that God has something better for you than Egypt. You got to get ready to receive a major blessing from God. In the wilderness, they learned to walk with God in a lonely, humble, pure way. In the wilderness, they learned to worship God in freedom. Worship always comes before the promised land. That's why we worship here. One of the reasons. Number eight. The wilderness is a place of preparation. It's in the wilderness that God prepares you for the promised land. Guys, I want you to know, I could talk about this all day, the preparation in the wilderness takes as long as you and God want. Because there's lessons to be learned in the wilderness. And you can make it longer than you want it to be, need to be, but God's preparing you and I. Number nine, you never get to the promised land without first having to go through the wilderness. And then finally, here's the good news. God always has a promised land for you, his best. But the principle of Egypt and the wilderness and the promised land is actually only not about a bunch of notes. It's about one thing. It's about trusting God for more in your life. That's what it's about. That's it. My wife, who is God's best wife, is the best person to remind me all the time. This is all about trusting God, whatever we going on in our life. It's about trusting God. Let me tell you quickly a couple personal stories that I'm going to try to relate this to marriage and wrap this up. Uh, I, um, uh, when I was senior at Baylor, I learned this principle. I was dating somebody who was a great person at the time. We had met young life. She loved the Lord and walked with the Lord. We dated my whole senior year at college. My first semester at seminary, I started learning this principle and she kind of learned the same thing. We both looked at each other and said, you are far from a bad person. I, well, I could have married, this, her name was Katie. We've kind of remained friends through the years. And we both said, um, you're a great person. You're a rugged person, but you're not God's best in my life. We had this great breakup. So we both shook hands and agreed, hugged. And about a month later, she met God's best for life. It'd be nine more years for me. But uh, I learned that principle there. 
There are people in your life that are good people, but they're God's, not God's best. They're Egypt. All of us have Egypt in our life. It goes with life's territory. Uh, when I came to this church, I had, in my 20s, I was in two churches. I had two horrible experiences in, in my first seven years of ministry. I would not wish that on anybody. Um, and then I, I actually, when I was 29-ish years old, I kind of got out of the ministry for a while. And I had about a year of total wilderness time. I was doing some things to pay bills and speaking a little bit at things. And, and this church, when I was 30 years old, uh, God brought me here miraculously, completely miraculously. And it was a promised land for me. So I'm not talking theory today. I wish I, I could tell you 100 stories. I mean, God, to this day, there's Egypt we let go of. There's wilderness times. And then we see God's promised land at work. Let's relate this to dating and marriage real quickly. Let's talk Egypt real quick. I'm going to encourage you not to go back to Egypt. I'm going to encourage you to move beyond Egypt, the past life, the old life, the old relationships. I'm going to encourage you at times to break up with Egypt and accept the fact that Egypt broke up with you. Once you know a relationship's not right, guys, break up. Um, you know, uh, to use the story of the girl all day when I was a senior in college, um, you know, it was the, the most gracious thing that her and I did for each other. We said, you know what? You're not God's best in my life, although you're a great person. But I'm doing you wrong by hanging on to you because if you're not God's best for my life, then I'm, I'm keeping you from God's best in your life. So we're going to break up so both of us can go in the Lord's will, find his best. Breaking up is the most courageous, good thing you can do. You know what? If a relationship's right, it'll always come back. If it's love now, it'll be love later. If it's right now, God will make it be right later on. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to seek that. Give yourself space, move on, and see what God does. Um, by the way, I'm going to tell you this. Breaking up almost always ends poorly. When they left Egypt, it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't easy. Wilderness. I'm going to encourage you in your singleness as a Christian to learn to thrive in the wilderness. Learn to thrive being a single Christian. Maybe God's will for the rest of your life. Learn to thrive in there. There's nothing wrong with being single. It can be awesome. Apostle Paul was single. Apostle Paul encouraged it. Thrive in the wilderness. Worship the Lord. Walk with God deeper. Wait on Him. It may be 40 years you're there. Learn to thrive in the wilderness. Don't waste your wilderness. It's okay to be in the middle because I got great news for you. When God changes things, it will move quickly. Quickly. 40 years when they got to Jericho was about seven days. One day you're, God's going to bring his best in your life. You're going to be God's best for somebody's life. You're going to go, whoa, whoa, what? Whoa, whoa. I wasn't ready for this. When God does something in your life, he, didn't, he, he moves slowly and he moves quickly. You need to know that. Number three and finally. I'm going to tell you, that's the promised land. That's your reward. I, I want to encourage you to have a vision for your marriage one day. Uh, people always ask me the question, does God have a person for you to marry? Absolutely, I believe he does if he chooses you to get married. No question he does. Part of God's will for your life. Is that person going to be perfect? No, and neither are you. God's best for your life will be someone, though, that you wait on. You don't worry about it happening. You don't seek them. But you know what you do in the meantime? You work on yourself. You be the best version of God's best for them. You don't have to worry about God bringing down the walls and bringing you there. You get yourself ready. And that may, that'll last as long as God wants to. You work on yourself. You work to prepare yourself to be God's best and to meet God's best. 
Get a vision for who you are and what you want to be, what you want God to do in your life, and hang on to it. Trust God for the best. Dating is waiting, guys. Dating is waiting. That's my version of it. You can settle for less than God's best, or you can wait for God's best. Dating's neither right nor wrong. It's how you handle it. But you know what? I'll say this, and I'm done. God created you and I for marriage, though, not for dating. You didn't know that. And if God's will for your life is to, for one day, for him to sovereignly, supernaturally bring you with that person, he's getting you ready for about the second most important relationship. Well, it is the second most important relationship you've ever had in life after Jesus himself. One day, when this life ends, we are going to the eternal promised land. God is preparing you and I one day for his ultimate promised land. In the meantime, in our life, he's going to take us through seasons of Egypt, the wilderness, and the promised land. And then one day, when he comes back or we go with him, we'll be forever in his promised land. New heaven, new earth. In the meantime, learn to walk with him. Leave in Egypt. Wander to the wilderness. And going, God, I'm trusting you for his best. And God goes, you're, you're going to have it. And I will tell you this from personal testimony. Uh, those of us who know Mary and I, far from bragging, 30 years ago, God gave me his best. It's still the truth. I'm a testimony going, I know what that feels like to wait for a long time and get God's best. Bless you in that. I, I pray this over you as you bow your heads. Thank you.